Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom and you are about to hear the soothing sounds of directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. <laughs> Every week it's new, I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure I know how to be soothing. I'll have to have a think about that. This is one of those episodes where we cover all the news, views and other bobs and bits from Sheffield's digital sector. As always, thank you to Rebel Base Media for allowing us into their wonderful podcasting studio, which you can also access yourself if you ask them nicely. They also have um, a mobile recording uh, kit that you can take away and record at your own events and other podcast-related services too. Um, so uh, we're going to start with good news. It's the first thing on the list. I quite like the idea. We start with the good news. Yeah, I really like that too. So um, Museum Sheffield have won £150,000 from the Arts Council to, in inverted commas, increase the digital capacity at Western Park and Millennium Gallery. That sounds like great news. Do you know what that, what that means in practice? No, I don't, but I'm very keen to find out and will perhaps go on a little mission to find out mm. more. But I think just the fact that, first of all, our local museums have gone in for this kind of funding is really good. Secondly, that they've been successful in winning it is really, really good because we all know that not nearly enough of Arts Council funding comes to Sheffield mm. and the surrounded area compared to other parts of the country. I didn't know that. No, it's it's true. It is a true fact. Yeah, it's improved recently, but yes, I yes. think it's still the case. Yeah, so um, it's, it means that we're getting more visible in the Arts Council mm. eye. And the thing I especially love about it is it's this area of crossover between uh, digital life, cultural life, creative life, um, and looking at how those things collide. So I will take it upon myself to go away and find out more and hopefully report back on another episode. Fantastic. iMoves won a BET award this year and have been shortlisted again for 2020. That's, yeah. That's good news. That's good news. Um, yeah. I, so iMoves do, um, they do educational apps around movement. Uh, physical movement and well-being in kids and bet is kind of the biggest uh, um, learning technologies educational technologies trade show in the country and they won it this award last year and the next um, bet show is in february i think yeah and they've been shortlisted for the for another award again so uh, another great company that's part of the edtech um, sector in sheffield great stuff and um, some Sheffield Digital related news. Do you want to do this announcement, Mel? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm really pleased to announce that Spaces Acero have renewed their partnership with Acero. Sheffield Digital. Again, you do this. <laughs> Dear listeners. It's a call back to a podcast. <laughs> there's now going to be a short interlude where I go away and throw things at Chris Diamond's head. I can confirm but- that I am not going to try and find where you said that 30 episodes ago so I can put it in the show notes. <laughs> but I must, must apologise. That wasn't particularly soothing of me. Oh, no. So no. I'll now be soothing. Um Chris, I believe that it's Acero, but it might well be Acero. Perhaps one of our listeners can let us know. Is it Acero or is it Acero? I have no idea. (laughs) Sorry, Mark, carry on. That's okay. Um, But we are very grateful to Spaces because they have renewed their partnership with us and that means that we'll be able to work with them on perhaps organising some events in their space. Um, They're also still keen to host meetups where they can, although I understand that um, the space that they've got available may be getting slightly smaller, but we'll find out about that. I also have another new sponsor that we'll be announcing next week, so I'm not going to um, 
blow the trumpet on that one just yet. But again, another organisation city that I'm very glad are coming on board with Sheffield Digital. Mm-hmm. Marvellous. And uh, Mel, you've been on another visit. Yes, um, I went to visit 32 Air Street, which I think I may have mentioned on a previous podcast, don't remember. This is um, the building, it used to be a BT building, it was called Deacon House, and it's right next to where the office supplies shop is on Air, on the end of Air Street, just before you get to the roundabout at the Ring Road. Anyway. <laughs> um, what used to be Mothercare? Staples. It used to be opposite. Yes. Yeah. So on the other on the other side of Air Street from there. Okay. So yeah, where where that where that is. Yeah. Um, was it Pow? The boxing gym was there as well. Okay. There's Mother Care, yeah. then Pow, then Theatre Delhi. Yeah. So the I other, think they all on the other side of the road. For the same people, we used to go just go to <laughs> one after another in an afternoon. Yeah. Well, tastes change indeed. <laughs> so it's at number thirty-two, um, and the building has been taken by Wizu Workspace, who are, as you would guess, a workspace company. They've got a couple of spaces in Leeds and um, now come into Sheffield and um, Ovo Spaces are doing all the fit out. So I went in for a look round. It's going to be fab. It looks really, really nice. The On the ground floor, they're going to have a gym. Um, and then on the first floor, there's a co-working space, cafe, event space, meeting rooms, uh, desk, renter desk rooms and a variety of small offices. So offices for sort of two to 10 people. Second floor, more small offices. So it's great to see there's going to be, you know, a real add to the provision of offices for when you're just starting up in the city. And then the top three floors are going to be lettable space just generally. But it's all being fitted out to really high standard. It's bright, it's airy. Um, the offices are all well set up. They're fully serviced, the offices on the first and second floor, which means that they're all kitted out with furniture, uh, Wi-Fi, all of that. You, you know, you just basically move in, plug in, start work, which is a good thing. So they need about another six weeks to finish the fit out um, wow. and then they should be ready and open. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more, I'll be putting a blog post together quite soon that will have some more information, um, some nice pictures and uh, details on pricing as well. But I was just, I think every time we see a new space like this open up, it's so encouraging because it shows that the developers are recognising that the demand is here in the city. But also we know that most of the spaces in the city are pretty much full mm. and people are scrambling around looking for somewhere to work yeah well it's that um, follow-on space isn't it yeah you know, there's lots of provision being built for kind of you know large companies to move here or set up a presence here um but it's the smaller follow-on space out of the incubators that the city needs as well yeah yeah so uh yes you heard it here first folks and um do we'll tell you more when we've got it yeah great um <laughs> Mel, you and Neil, I assume that's Neil Birchinall. It is, yeah. Esteemed director of Sheffield Digital. Mm-hmm. Um, you went to the City Growth Board. Yeah, so um, the City Growth Board is something that Sheffield City Council runs and it's to bring together uh, private, public and voluntary sector people from the city to talk about issues relating to city growth. And at each meeting, we usually have a couple of presentations and they're different every time. But I thought people would like to know that 
this time we heard about developments planned for around the train station for uh, when HS2 work starts. So I learned an awful lot about what needs to be done. What I didn't realise is that for HS2 to come into the city, they're going to have to raise the bridges over the railway lines to the south of the city. So just imagining the work that's involved in raising bridges so that you can electrify and so on, that's quite interesting. But um, the plans were encouraging because so much thought is being given to the public realm and to what it's going to be like for pedestrians and cyclists and um, sustainable travel modes and, and active travel modes. Um, so that was really good. The other thing to bear in mind, of course, is that all this is going to take at least 20 years. Mm. So it's very, very far in the future. And I wondered, you know, what must it be like to be, um, say, a planner working on this in the council and know that the project that you're working on, you'll never see the completion of? That that kind of freaked me out a bit. But anyway, that that was one of the topics. Oh, they were quite old. Um, well, okay. You won't be working still in that role when the project actually starts to come together. It's like the great um, cathedral builders of old. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the Except other th- it didn't cost, you know, £60 billion pounds or whatever it is. The, slated to cost. There, there weren't any conversations about cost and I'm deliberately staying clear of the debate about Sorry. is HS2 a good thing or not. I just thought it'd be good for people to know that uh, people in the council are really paying attention to how to make it benefit the city in lots of different ways. Mm. The other thing that happened at the growth board meeting is that um, James Muir, who is the chairman of the local enterprise partnership in Sheffield City Region, came to talk to us about the strategic economic plan. Um, I'm trying to choose my words here. We didn't actually learn a lot, but what we did learn is that there will be lots of opportunities for Sheffield, the city, to put its contributions and thought into the plan for the city region, um, which has to be a good thing. And there was also a level of recognition at the LEP and a much higher level of recognition at city council level that the digital industries are important, that digital is not just uh, an enabler, that it is an industry in its own right. But at the same time, there's a lot that could happen around digital adoption by business and organisations in the city. So um, I don't have much more than that to say about it other than the fact that Sheffield Digital is involved in talking to the LEP about what's in the strategic economic plan both in its own right and through bodies like the growth board. Mm. Yeah it's really I mean I guess the quarterly briefing has had a role to play in trying to you know improve their understanding of the of these issues but lots of things get conflated don't they mm. um, and so this issue of digitization is conflated with the digital industry so you know, there's a digital economy and then there's a digital industry and they're quite quite distinct things and seeing digital only in so far as it can improve productivity in traditional businesses is is really only you know one one part of what we're talking about which mm. is developing a digital technology industry in Sheffield yeah um, and the wider region and that that needs to have a location in the strategic plan that maybe isn't in the same place it's not just all lumped together into the same thing we keep making this point anyway. Yeah. 
Uh, Chris, uh, yep. last time we spoke, uh, you launched, you officially launched the... Uh, <laughs> announced. Announced, that's more like it, isn't yeah. it? You announced the uh, migration of the Open Tech Calendar, the acquisition. Yes. Um, uh, so how's it going? What's what's happened since? Yeah, it's all, it's all on plan. And in fact, um, so as we record this, the actual technical migration is um, scheduled to happen on Sunday morning. So by the time people listen to this, it will have already happened if everything has gone to plan. There's been, there's been, yeah, there's lots of things have been put in place. There's been lots and lots of conversation and, and work um, by James Baster and Saul Cousins um, uh, over the last two weeks to prepare for this. Um, so hopefully um, it'll all be migrated to the new host um, and then we can take over the operations as, as is the plan. Um, and then beyond that, you know, as I, as I said last time, and as I put in the blog, in the announcement blog post, um, we need to, uh, kind of normalize the operations of it and, um, reconnect it with its business model to bring some money in so that we can build it out further and then, uh, create a development and, and design community around it to, um, extend it in the way that we think um, it deserves, um, and then ultimately migrate all of the assets, all of the open tech calendar assets into a separate um, legal entity, a data trust um, that can be governed um, on behalf of the tech community across the country and beyond, not not specifically by Sheffield Digital. So we see ourselves as kind of stewards, if you like, or uh, yeah, care, caretakers of it and until we can get it on a proper footing. Great. And on the last episode, you also talked about the quarterly briefing, or we all talked about it, how it had gone down and yep. who'd been reading it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's time you did another one, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, so I've been um, fitting in research and writing um, and managing content production um, into my usual schedule over the last, well, I think I started three weeks ago, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done several interviews. Um, so it's, uh, so really there's, there's three parts to the quarterly briefing. Um, well, there are four parts to the quarterly briefing. Four, four key components that need to be produced in order to get an episode, an edition out. Um, there's the, the top level statistics um, that are produced by Sheffield Business School um, and I had a conversation at lunch with um, uh, Andrew Johnson from the business school on Wednesday to talk about what we're going to focus on. And we, we're going to focus on business births. So we're looking at new company formation in this episode and breaking that down um, by sort of subsector, if, if we can. Um, the it, the data is always really problematic because you're relying on um, sick codes and then, you know, they're a bit traditional and yeah. you know, companies don't necessarily put all of the sit codes down that reflect what they do, but you know, it's the best data we've got to go on. So anyway, um, so that's, he's doing that. Um, then there's, um, the second component is around, uh, the priorities for the sector, uh, and what, uh, you know, what needs to happen and what the important things are that are happening. And, um, that's something that we discuss with the economy.chef group that meets every two months or so to talk about the digital economy in Sheffield and the next meeting is on the 2nd of December. So there'll be a little workshoppy bit in that where we discuss that. And then there'll be kind of like a vote on what the, what the, this quarter's priorities are. Uh, then there's the editorial, which is a short article written by someone in the, uh, in the sector uh, on their kind of, you know, 
like more personal look from their perspective. Um, and Sam Chapman, who's the chair of Economy.chef, is, is writing that. And then there's the focus, which is kind of the, the meat of it, which is, um, so in the first edition, we looked at the four verticals. So the four areas of the Sheffield tech industry, um, where Sheffield has got a real uh, unique specialism. Um, uh, and in the second one, we want to look at the kind of underpinning capabilities that feed into those verticals. So it's basically like, you know, creating creating the landscape in which we, where we can then explore in more detail in future editions, if you like. So um, I've been interviewing the two universities and, and various other people within the ecosystem to try and get a historical narrative on areas in which Sheffield has a particular um, technical strength and tradition, if you like. And uh, so that's, yeah, that's probably going to be eight of those that I'm picking out specifically and trying to kind of reference as many assets and people and companies and projects and, and things that I can in each of those. Um, so I'll, I may, I may put out a, like a little sort of draw, you know, like rough draft sketch of it and then uh, ask people to feed in stuff if there's, you know, try and create as, as wide a net as possible to catch things. Do you have a publication date? So I'd like to get it all out before Christmas. That's, that's the plan. So um, it would mean uh, completion of all the content sort of end of first week in December. Do you need anyone to help? Because last time you, there was a call for help with the design and things like that, or is that all, all sorted? No, I think it's all sorted. So, um, so yeah, we have the design. So one of the things that we did when we designed the first edition is we created specifications around every single piece of content in the publication. So we know exactly what we want, we need to produce in order to minimise the amount of time it takes to produce a new one. And so, so yeah, and that, and then the printing and distribution of it, and then the digital assets and all of that, you know, that's, we have a plan for those things. I mean, they're time consuming and they take effort, but um, we know how to do them. So we can kind of um, make them as efficient and repeatable as possible. What we do need, Ian, is sponsors. Yes, that's what we do need. We need money <laughs> so, to pay yeah. for our time. Doing yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're trying to... Uh, produce the quarterly briefing in a um, cost-neutral way so that the um, costs of designing it, um, printing it and distributing it and also um, the cost of the time that Chris puts into it are covered. So we have been able to um, get a couple of sponsors in already but there are still sponsorships available uh, and if companies are interested in that uh, it gets you good exposure on the publication itself yeah very much so um, but it also makes you part of uh, an initiative which is really raising the profile of the digital industries in Sheffield and around the country so um, yeah get in touch with us if you'd like to find out more about that opportunity yeah and you know we might as well say what the costs are so it's five hundred pounds per issue. Six. Six. <laughs> Six hundred. He drives a hard bargain. Doesn't he? <laughs> well, no, it's it's uh, it's, it's five hundred for a year's worth. A year's it. worth. So so if you sponsor four issues, it's five hundred pounds an issue. Yeah. If you just want to sponsor one, it's six hundred. Thanks for the correction, Chris. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, of efficient, repeatable things, the next showcase is coming up soon. That's right. Yes, the Christmas showcase. Yes, twelfth of uh, December, uh, Thursday the twelfth. What are you going to be wearing? 
I think we should start. We should start a campaign for Chris to wear a Santa suit. Well, I didn't like Who's in? Who's in? Jesus. He'd be fine too. Yeah. Okay. Baby bejesus. Baby bejesus. Baby bejesus. I may stretch to a jumper. Maybe maybe we'll make it mandatory that everybody has to. Everybody. Everybody on stage. Santa. Santa. A crazy jumper. Um, okay, well, we've covered that. Uh, <laughs> now, who's who's going to be there at the uh, showcase? Uh, so, uh, we're just starting to announce um, the guests. Uh, so, Adiam Emmanuel from Seven Two One is going to is going to be is our first announced guest. Um, I guess by the time this goes out, we will have announced um, that uh, J Wing and um, uh, Data Trainer. Uh, will also be on stage. Um, Pendo are going to be on stage. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just finalising the last two. So that's what we know so far. What's the dates? If I didn't 12th, know 12th, 12th of okay. December, yeah. Just something that has kind of been um, bubbling away in conversations for, for a while. And it's, um, uh, it's basically an idea around um, work placements for students, um, particularly students coming out of the computing department at Hallam. Um, where, you know, they have a new corporate directive to provide um, work experience to all of their undergraduate students. Um, and the way that they traditionally go about that is to find large employers who take several at a time. Um, and I think a lot of SMEs are missing out, especially local SMEs are missing out on having kind of exposure to that talent and being able to evaluate it. And uh, And so... Um, the suggestion is that, uh, you know, every, every well, as many development teams in, in the city, especially in smaller, you know, smaller companies, agencies, um, keep a seat free in their development team for an exchange student to come in. And we try and, um, you know, design the friction out of the process. So the students are not um, expecting or expected to be productive while they're on work experience. They're not you know, the companies involved don't have to set them tasks. They don't have to chaperone them and babysit them. The, the students are there to observe and to uh, understand how that particular development team operates. Um, so they, they're kind of, it's about exposing them to a real working team and exposing them to a company environment um, rather than it is teaching them, you know, hard skills. It's about that employability. It's about them having experience of seeing someone else's environment and how, um, how a project is run and understanding that different processes are, are applied to different types of problem, different types of project. Um, and, uh, and that that kind of is, you know, more easy to manage um, and that if, if, you know, if our development teams um, as a kind of standard behaviour kept a seat free for a, for a work, work placement student to come in um, every term, they, those companies would get much more visibility of students coming through and seeing what they're about and seeing whether they're, you know, potential employees of the future and, um, and, you know, it would just be a much easier process to manage. We could just scale it much better than we can at the moment because at the moment it's a, it's a ball ache, you know, organising this stuff. And it tends to be the larger companies that have got dedicated people in HR that can facilitate this. Uh, and equally on the university side, there's a placements team that, you know, that do this stuff. But it, the, the more frictionless and the more self-serve we can make it, the better. Anyway. 
So I really, really love this idea. And you and I haven't had a lot of opportunity to talk it through other mm. than you explaining the concept. Mm. What do you think is needed to make it happen? So um, I've just, um, literally just this week, have had conversations with um, Hallam about running a pilot. Right. And the first stage in that is um, to, I'm about to invite a bunch of companies that I've, some of which I've spoken to about this before, um, others that we know, um, about having uh, basically a roundtable lunch to discuss it, to talk about the, you know, the detail of how it would work and what would work and what wouldn't work and Mm. these kind of things. Uh, And then I think we're going to just run an MVP pilot um, and it, it, you know, the the work placement requirement is like three weeks per student. Um, but I think we'll probably just run it on a a or a number of Fridays, so maybe like a you know six week period of of someone, uh, you know, being on placement every Friday for those mm. six weeks. Um, probably starting sometime the end of February or beginning of March. Right. Um, and then we'll we'll sort of see we'll learn from that and then see what. Um, appetite there is to to um, to create a platform around it yeah. to see how frictionless we can make it because it fundamentally relies on well, it relies on communications it relies on that expectation setting and the information being right the onboarding if you like of of the companies and of the students and so that you know so that everybody understands what's expected um, and and it relies on the matchmaking and so how that matchmaking happens how anonymous it is for example you know I kind of the way that things are at the moment you know the larger companies you know they get to they get to look at all the details of the students and cherry pick the ones that have got the highest potential and um i would like to make it much more inclusive and even than that which means that some sometimes companies are going to get students that maybe aren't as engaged or aren't as you know aren't the upper tier but, but who knows? But, and it, you know, an interaction may, may, might make all the difference to yes, that. Yes, exactly. And it's about volume, you know, because the friction is so lower. You get to you get to kind of have you know several students come through, um, you know, maybe three, four, five a year um, to evaluate. So, if people are listening to this and think, "Well, I'd quite like to go to that roundtable lunch," or "I'd quite like to get involved in the discussions," can they just get in touch with you? Yes, they can. So, we, so we have a date for it. I, I'm sending the the invitations out later today. The date is the 10th of December, so you want to get it in, and okay. it, it'll be somewhere at Hallam. Um, I'm not sure of the room or anything yet, but it'll. I think we said uh, 12 till 1:30 on the 10th. Excellent. So it's Chris at Sheffield Digital. Yes. Great. Um. We've previously talked about the National Centre for EdTech. Chris, do you have uh, an exciting update for us? <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, by the time this goes out, there hopefully will be. Um, I can't now. Um, there is, um, yeah, it is basically moving through, we're at the, we're at the funding stage of, of a scoping exercise to um, figure out what the National Centre for EdTech would be like and how it would work. And we are, I believe, in the final stages of securing that funding. Um but there's, there's literally the, a meeting of all of the partners on Monday and we're recording this on Friday. So I don't really know what's going to happen. My expectation is that we will get that thing green lit so that we can start work on that scoping exercise, even if all of the funding, while it's been agreed, hasn't been approved. <laughs> if that makes sense. It's always the way with funding. Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant news. Yeah. 
And uh, Mel, the 2020 Sheffield Digital Festival, you were right, by the way. I don't even, I don't even know if I left this in the last episode. I think I might have edited, 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 might edit that out as well. Edited out <laughs> uh, a bit where I was questioning the name, but you're absolutely right. It's Sheffield Digital Festival. Festival. Yeah. Of course I was right. I know, I know. I should have. I should have. I'd, I'd you know. like to say I'm always right, but we know that's not true. So, because I can't tell the difference between Acero and Acero. <laughs> <laughs> Potato, potato. But... Uh, yeah, the Sheffield Digital Festival, uh, which will be in May 2020, final dates will be announced next week, I hope. Uh, we now have a working group um, who are helping to organise and plan it. So that's really great. We've now got extra hands on deck and, and brains around the table, which is very exciting. We had a meeting earlier this week and we kicked loads of really good ideas around and people took away actions and things to do. So I'm extremely excited about what we're going to be able to make happen in May of next year. And uh, as I say, information will start coming out next week. And as always, there will be lots of ways for people to get involved, uh, for people to run their own fringe events, for them to get involved in the organisation of the main event, etc., etc., etc. And uh, your contact point, should you wish to volunteer or know more, is me. Great. And last year we uh, uh, we had quite a few fringe events, but I guess there was... There is much more time now, if you're listening to this at this yeah. very moment, to prepare and to think about what you might like to put on. I know there were quite a few people that I spoke to who kind of wanted to, but they got, you know, stuff to do. So they so they didn't quite get around to it. But this is like a good four or five months uh, notice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we pulled it together earlier this year, it was with sort of five or six weeks notice. And the fact that we got more than 20 fringe events in that short time period was amazing. So uh, our hope is that by telling people about it now and then keeping the information flowing uh, once Christmas has gone past, is that people will have a proper opportunity to think about, well, what might we do Um can we put something on in our premises? Do we want to put something on, but we need a venue? Um, you know, how can we be part of the vibe around the city? All that kind of thing. There'll be plenty of time to think about it and get organised. Um, we, the the festival organising group will be able to provide support in terms of things like finding venues. So um, even if you don't have a venue, but you think you have an idea for an event, you know, you can press ahead. Um and yeah, I'm hoping that we have a week or more that's absolutely jam-packed with loads and loads of stuff going on. Chris, I'm not sure if it's already on the agenda for the Meta Meetup next week, which is the meetup for meetup organisers, but it might be worth mentioning to them that it's coming up in May and see if they can organise a uh, like a, yeah, what would be a typical meetup, just do a, like a, a festival special or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to get as many things as possible to all be scheduled. I mean, normally they try and you know, not tread on each other's toes and stay away from over-congested days. But well, maybe that's the one opportunity where everybody can organise things at the yeah. same time. But one of the things about the um, the online platform that's been created for the festival is that while the core part of the festival happens over sort of six or seven days, there's no reason at all why stuff can't happen all around that time, but still be branded under the festival mm. and still be publicised through the festival platform as well as all the usual channels. Great. Okay, well, speaking of uh, exciting events, let's talk about some stuff that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. 
lo and behold, the first one on the list <laughs> on the 25th of November is uh, the Meta Meetup number four. Yes, which will have happened by the time yeah, this goes out, probably. But, probably, yeah. unless, I'm, unless I'm quick about it. But yeah, probably. Uh, how was it, Chris? Was it good? <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. It was absolutely packed. Yeah. I hope you mentioned the uh, forthcoming uh, Shepherd Digital Festival. Um, on the 27th is UX Sheffield. It's also Bitcoin Sheffield on the same evening. Um, on the 28th, probably the greatest day in the year. It's my birthday. Oh. And... Uh, is AWS Sheffield um, on the 2nd of December, Sheffield ML on the 3rd of December, Sheffield R on the uh, 3rd of December also is uh, Sheffield ABCDE and other letters too. I'm making it up now. I just thought, wow. yeah. <laughs> the previous two were real though. So I should probably say those again on the 2nd of December, Sheffield ML and on the 3rd of December is Sheffield R. Also on the 3rd is .NET Chef. Also on the 3rd is Startup Meetup. On the 4th of December, we have Discover. Information School Research Symposium. Oh, that looks interesting. Uh, you can find out more about all of these events if they sound uh, slightly vague on the uh, Sheffield Digital Events Calendar. On the 4th, also we have Sheffield Test Gathering, regular meetup, and Go Sheffield's on the 5th, and then Sheffield IoT Meetup is on the 5th also. And mm-hmm. there are actually a few more events as well on the calendar leading yeah, up to Christmas. Those are just um, the ones in the next two weeks, really, aren't they? They are. Um... Updates from memberships. So we've had uh, apps are on the list for companies, but they must be a, a, a renewal, is that right? No, no, they actually are yes. a, a new joiner. What? They finally got round to it, <laughs> <laughs> for which we're very grateful. Of course. Um, and uh, individual members, we welcome uh, Jaya Leshmi Pillai. Thank you for your membership too. And I think that's it. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, then you can do that in Apple Podcasts, which is what most people do, or you can find another app and do it there instead. You can also go and find the show notes for this particular episode, which includes links to all the stuff that we've talked about. That'll be on the Sheffield Digital website. And uh, spread the word, tell your friends, tap a colleague on the shoulder, that type of thing. <laughs> and um, and I think that's it. Until next time. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Thanks Ian. Ian. Bye.